are listening to the Jersey Guys Podcast, the show that talks about hard rock, heavy metal, AOR, and West Coast music. In-depth conversation and special guests are always on tap, so settle in and turn it up. Now, here are your hosts, Tom and Mark. Hey everybody, welcome to the Jersey Guys Podcast. This is Mark Ballow and I'm here with my co-host Tom Coyne. And today we've got special guest Kenny Dubman. Uh, some of you guys know him with from Profit, of course, but he's got a solo career for about the last five years. So we're going to talk about everything today. Uh, Kenny, hey, welcome to the show. How you doing? Hey guys, what's going on? Oh, not too much. We're good. So Awesome. Uh, well, I th- I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. That's for sure. Um, I figured what we would do is, is we would start, and Tom and I talked about this prior to, uh, to coming on air. We said, you know, how are we going to structure this interview? And we said, you know, I, I said, let's start with, with your solo career of the last five years or so. And we'll talk about that. And, and I know you've got a new album coming out, too, uh, next year, right? I do. I do. Good. Probably, you know, probably going to hold off maybe, uh, maybe, maybe two months, and then I'm going to let it roll. Okay, great. Well, I mean, let's let's start with with when you went solo. I mean, obviously, there's a long history that you have uh, with the band Profit, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. But let's let's start with with the solo career that you've had here for uh, the last five years or so. Uh, in 2016, you released uh, your first solo album, which was Reckless Abandon, right? Correct. That's right. Okay, tell us a little bit about that. How did that whole process come about to actually record a solo album? Well, it was, it was actually an interesting genesis the way that went down. Um, I had I had gone through like a long, rough period in, in my um, in my personal life, you know, like divorce and a and a kind of a rough rebound and everything like that. And it was it was kind of a low for me. Um, so when when I got clear of all that and just started kind of regrouping, I would just sit, you know, and work you know, my day gig at a computer every day and just like listen to music. Just I'd go on YouTube and like pick a particular album. You know, sometimes I'd know a band, sometimes I didn't know a band. You know, during the course of that, the ensuing, I don't know, it was about 14 months, I, I ran into um, the Whippoorwill album by Blackberry Smoke. And I clicked on it. I'd never heard of the band. I listened to it and I was like, well, you know, that was pretty good. Next day I sat down and I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this another listen. A year later, I was still listening to it every single day, if not once or twice a day. And shortly there after that, I started to, you know, pick up the guitar and like ideas would come to me and I would put them down. And that kept happening and it kept happening and kept happening. And I really liked the stuff that was coming out. So eventually, you know, a few months down the road, I said, you know what? I think I'm going to do a record. And it was directly linked, believe it or not, to me just running into that Blackberry Smoke album because I was kind of disconnected from, you know, music and caring that much about music and, and caring at all about creating music. And when I found that record, I said to myself, like, these guys are writing songs this good. And this is like straight up rock and roll, southern rock, boogie. I said, if they're out there doing it, you know. And I'm getting these ideas. Why shouldn't I just go do it again? So that's how that all came about. 
Right. And went back in the studio, did that record. And then this, and then from that point on, when I first started writing, and that was, I guess, around 2014, I want to say, um, the ideas just never stopped. It just never stopped coming. So when when they come, I capture them. And, you know, the ones that I, I really think are good enough will end up as a full song. Now, the, the Reckless Abandon album and, and the sound of, of you mentioned a Southern rock influence there and Blackberry Smoke. Um, it's your sound and your solo sound. It's, it's very organic. Uh, it's it's just it's really good. It's it's hard driving. It's bluesy a little bit. It's got a Southern rock feel to it. Uh, I really like the album and I enjoyed it. And I actually got to see you live. Um, I think it was 2018 at the uh, the Saint in uh, Asbury Park. Oh uh, yeah, that was yeah. We did a couple shows there. It was a really good time. Did you did you have to catch the show with? Um, I'm trying to think if we did one or two there. I know that the one we did with uh, with Matt O'Ree on guitar yes. and John Helm on drums. Yeah, that that was a good one. That was a great show. I mean, and, and you got, like you said, you had Matt O'Ree on guitar with you. Uh, John Hummel was the drummer, right? Uh, yeah. To me, the second coming of, of Bonzo, you know? <laughs> I mean, that guy is an unbelievable yeah. drummer. He really is ridiculous, man. And he, and like, it's so funny because his personality completely belies his drumming style. He's this, like, the most quiet, laid back, sweetest guy you'd ever want to meet. Really? Then he gets behind the kit, and he's just an absolute beast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen him a few times with a few different bands, and I, I'm always blown away seeing him. Uh, I think you had right Matt, Matt Wade on uh, keyboards that night? Yeah, Matt Wade on keyboards, who is just, you know, and Matt, um, Matt O'Ree introduced me to Matt, you know, mm-hmm. and said he might be a good fit for for the show. And, you know, I'd never seen him or heard of him, but I heard this guy play, and he, he's an absolute beast as well. Yeah. Just an incredible, incredible musician. I've seen him a few times with uh, Dana Fuchs. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. I totally am, and yep, she's a great singer. Yes, yeah, great, great show. So she she does a great show, and I've seen her. I saw her just back in August, actually, um, and a few times pro- years prior to that. Uh, yeah, I've not seen her live, um, but I would love to. And Matt Wade is touring with Samantha Fish right now. Pretty yes, good gig. That's right. But yeah, that that was a great show. But I, I thought that was great. I also saw you at the uh, the Stone Pony when you opened for uh, Bat, uh, which was the Paul Crook and uh, the Meatloaf band. Oh, you were at that one. That was a good time, man. Yeah. I really enjoyed that show. Now that was a, a solo acoustic show, right? It was actually. Uh, I had my my partner Richie on uh, on second acoustic guitar with me that night. Right. Now that that basically, I forget what year that actually was, but the the second thing you put out uh after reckless abandon was 2018 you did american songbook which was a live acoustic album right uh yeah that is correct um we went with the the acoustic format the acoustic live thing just because i really didn't have the money to go in and, and do a whole new studio album it's insanely expensive i financed the whole thing that that was the way to go with that i thought turned out when it came out nobody really gave it to well i don't want to say nobody but the majority of people just kind of ignored it because it was acoustic record. Mm-hmm. If I had put that out as a full electric album, I think it would have got a lot more attention. Right. Um, so what are you going to do? You can live and learn. Uh, I thought that it would stand on the merits of the songs, but you know, I'm not, it's not like I'm a, an established artist that had sold, you know, millions of albums that, you know, you put something out and people just want to hear it no matter, no matter what it is. The, the, um, people that they were into reckless abandoned wanted to hear another, you know, full electric album. Right. So, you know, it is what it is. I would love at some point to totally go back and redo that whole album as an electric, 
as an electric album because I really like the songs. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Now, well, you talk about going back to full electric. Now, I just saw last week, I think, on your Facebook page where you mentioned that you actually just completed work on a brand new album that's going to come out early next year. Uh, yeah, just literally a week ago, we did the last mix. The album is called Conflicted. Um, got some really good uh, guys playing on it. Uh, I got my bass player, Eric Winicky and my drummer, Joe Palia, who both played on Reckless Abandon. Um, I have Rob Cloris on keys, who's just fantastic. One of the best Hammond players I've ever gotten to work with. Yeah, so it's four of us. And now I have Dave DiPietro, who plays in my live band, Dave from TT Quick, uh, among other bands. Uh, he did not play on the record, but he, he will be doing all the shows with us. Oh, wow. Great. I think you mentioned also you had some other special guests doing some guitar solos on that. Can you share that a little bit? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got some, pre- some pretty big heavyweights. We got... Um, Zach Wild uh, and Scotty Hill. Zach, of course, from Ozzy and Black Label Society and Scotty from Skid Row. Right. Now, I've been friends with those guys since the 80s. So to call them up and, you know, to get them to commit to, to playing solos on my on my stuff was, you know, it was kind of a no brainer. I, I knew they would say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlie, I, I didn't really know that well. We were, were friendly. We we're introduced by uh, a mutual friend. Now, who's and, this? And, you know, being. Uh, Charlie from Blackberry Smoke, Charlie okay. Starr. Oh, okay. He's, he's the uh, primary songwriter and lead singer and, you know, one of the guitar players. Uh, plays quite a few of the leads. Um, I just have an insane amount of respect for him as a songwriter because, as I said before, um, their album, uh, The Whipper World, kind of triggered me back into songwriting. So I just figured I'd just walk out on a long limb and just ask him, and he said yes. Oh, wow. So he, yeah, all three of those guys did just monster jobs on the guitar solos they did. So really, really, really excited about it. Couldn't be happier. Nice. Yeah. Looking forward to that. I know you mentioned something about, uh, you know, if you like, uh, you know, the hard, hard driving guitars and Hammond, then this is going to be right up your alley. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it, man. I, you know, I don't want to sit here and blow my own horn about these songs, but this is definitely some of the best stuff I've ever did. I've ever done and, and people I I know they're gonna like it. I know it's gonna it's gonna meet with some uh you know, pretty favorable acceptance. And I just I'm I'm so itching to just put it out right now, but there's stuff I have to get in place first sure. before I can do it. So Yeah, you know, for I just sure. have to chill out and wait. <laughs> <laughs> now so I wanna ask you something and I, I was listening to just the last week as we were preparing for this and I, I went back to the solo albums again and, and started listening to them again and and I, it hit me and I, I kind of said you know what and you, by the way you are the lead singer as opposed you know also in addition to being the guitar player on your solo material of course but in listening to your your vocal style I, I could hear a little bit of like Joe Walsh meets like Warren Haynes is that you think that's something that's accurate or are they influences? I, um well, first of all, it's, it's a big compliment. Both of those guys are awesome singers. I've, I've heard that before. I've heard uh, references to a little bit of Joe Walsh. I haven't heard Warren Haynes. Uh, Warren, of course, I listen to a ton of, you know, both in Allman Brothers and, and Government Mule. seen him play live a bunch of times. So I, I guess I couldn't help but be influenced. Um, when I write a vocal line or, you know, do vocal takes in the studio or whatever, it's not really – thinking like about like well i'm gonna emulate this guy on you know this tune and this guy and the other just it's sort of whatever comes out so i think my vocal style is just a kind of an amalgamation of everyone that i've ever dug and everyone i've ever listened to 
Have you ever yeah, sang I'll, before I'll, I'll, in, in any I'll band? Take the, I'll take those two guys <laughs> any, any day of the week, man. That's a, that's a huge, huge compliment. So thank you. No, you're welcome. Um, have you ever I sang sung, before in any bands well, prior? My, I kind of like um, honed my vocal shops over the years in playing with Edgar Casey, the Edgar Casey band, which was a, a cover band like Post Profit. Sure, did, we're going to get into that for sure. Did a lot of lead singing in that band, and then I did. I've done tons and tons of, you know, acoustic duo gigs. You know, just doing covers. So it's a it's a lot of years of singing, and if it weren't for that, uh, I wouldn't have been ready to, you know, step up and sing lead on my own stuff for sure. Now, so it's it's just doing it. You know, doing it for a long time and doing it a, a lot of nights. Right. And you're, you're very, you're comfortable, gotten extremely comfortable with it, obviously. I'm comfortable with it. Whether I can, you know, deliver on any given night is a different story. I still don't really consider myself a, a singer. I, I'm a guitar player who sings out of necessity. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I just do the best I can. I try to warm up, you know, before live shows, you know, try not to talk. You know, talking will kill your voice. If, you, if you're talking to people yeah. in, in the crowd, you know, before you go on for an hour, you're done. Sure. Absolute toast. But don't forget, Ken, Gary Moore was a guitar player that sang out of necessity, too. So, uh, Well, I think there's a lot of us out there. Right. You know, to just do it. You know, you, you've you've played with lead singers. You've tried it before. And you just rather just, you know, pilot your own ship. That's how it comes about. So, you know, with, with uh, a lot of humility, I just do it and hope it works. Right. Now, where um, <laughs> you got the the new solo album coming out early next year, you have the, the two previous albums. Where can people uh, check this out? Do you have a website or a Facebook page? It's going to when, when I put it out, it's going to be everywhere. I mean, it's going to be on all the digital platforms. You can get CDs on CD, baby. Um, you know, th there'll be links to all that on my own website. So it won't be hard to find. Trust me. Okay. Great, great. It'll be out there. I'll have billboards up all over the state. No, <laughs> all along the but, turnpike in the park. You know, so, social media obviously is, you know, the billboard for modern times. So it, it'll, it'll, there'll be no, no doubt about where to find it. <laughs> you know, what we could do is maybe you can make up some of those little like uh, placards. You put them on the, on the, the parkway and the turnpike told us like they do at the art center. Yeah, and then um, in the summertime, I'll, I'll get planes to fly by with banners. They're over the beaches, right. There you go. Yeah, yeah. there's going to be – no stone No stone will be unturned. Excellent. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> so so now that we've, we've kind of covered your, your solo uh, career a little bit, uh, we want to get back in. And, and Tom and I are both huge Prophet fans from way back. Uh, personally, right on. I came in, into knowing and being aware of Prophet in, in 1988 with the Cycle of the Moon album, uh, and then going back later and discovering the first album. Uh, mm -hmm. But I would say if you had to ask me personally, I, if, if you asked me my top five bands, Prophet would definitely be in there. Wow. Well, well, thank you so much for that. Appreciate that. I can't say that, Ken, because I'm too old to be able to put you guys <laughs> in the top of, in my top five. But <laughs> that's okay, because I know we're number six, so it's all good. They're right. <laughs> so, did you, Tom? Did you want to? I know we talked about this before we went on air. Did you have uh, some stuff you wanted to start with as far as the profit days? Well. I have a lot of questions that I wanted to ask about the first album because there was a lineup change and kind of a, a different sense of direction in the second album. So I, I really <laughs> had wanted to ask how the first lineup came about. 
And yeah, of course. Well, you you guys both know that Prophet was a cover band for a lot of years before ever sitting setting foot in the studio. Right. So, I mean, the cover band had a lot of lineup changes and, you know, first album hit and then second album. And then, they, you know, everything just keeps changing. <laughs> we changed. We changed a lot of people. Um, not always because we wanted to. So sometimes it was necessity. But I'm sorry. Go ahead and continue on the, the first album lineup. So Dean Fasano was the singer. It was, correct me if I'm wrong, a very Kansas influenced no doubt. Okay. Um, the band, we were all very, <clears throat> Scott, Metaxas, Josie Kasky, and I were all, you know, we did a, a bunch of Kansas over the years as a cover band, and they were always one of our favorite bands, you know, as far as the songs they wrote. So there was there was no way that our first record wasn't going to come out with at least a little bit of Kansas influence. Now, when you add Dean Fasano into the mix... He, to me, always sounded like a combination between uh, Stevie Wonder and Steve Walsh. So you have a singer that sounds a little bit like Steve Walsh. You have, you know, a lot of Kansas influence in the players. Mm -hmm. You're going to get some Kansas coming out in that first record for sure. I'm glad you admitted to that because (laughs) we have done interviews with people where I'll say, well, your your band sounded like so-and-so. And and they'll say, oh, no, no, they didn't. We didn't cover that (laughs) band. We were, but I, I was listening to the record today and it's, it, it the songs are just you know every song is great and but the Kansas influences are there and you know wh- why not no doubt and uh, you know what I would you know I'll, I'll cop to anything it obviously mm-hmm. it wasn't intentional but you know we listened to a lot of it and sure it a lot of it came out in the you know a lot of that influence came out in the songwriting just it was a natural thing and and to be compared to a band like that I'll, like like I said before I'll take that in anyway. absolutely yeah. Now, in addition to, you mentioned Dean Fasano being the singer on that first album, which which changed later on with the second album, but you also had, uh, your your drummer was Ted Pulley uh, on the first album, right? Yes. Yep. We had Ted Pulley in the band. I'm still friendly with Ted. I still talk to him. He's a a trip. Now, you go go way back with Ted, though. Were you in a band prior to Yeah, Ted and I were, Ted and I were in a high school band together when I was 15 and he was 16. Wow. Yeah. So our history goes way back. We have a lot of crazy stories about some crazy shit we did when we were kids. <laughs> hey, <laughs> the name of our, our podcast is the Jersey Guys, and you're both Jersey Guys, so we understand No doubt. <laughs> you guys are Jersey Guys. I'm actually a bogus Jersey guy. I just moved out here five months ago. <laughs> from where? I'm from Brooklyn. Oh, that's all right. That's still part of the whole... Right. That's part of the scene. Yeah. Prophet okay. spent a lot of time in Brooklyn at Lemoore's back right. in the day. So. Exactly. So what I wanted to ask you also about that record was um, record that that record <laughs> about that record. <laughs> That's the Brooklyn accent. Sure is, buddy. Um, what was the distribution like on that? Because honestly, we were talking about this before we went on on the air. I didn't even know that record existed until Cycle of the Moon came out. Yeah, we um, Prophet was never you know, I I guess to put it kindly like they're never never really the most savvy band as far as like making the right decisions with who we allied ourselves with business-wise who we signed with and everything anyway long story short we had a guy managing us at the time and really the only label that he could get a bite out of uh was total experience which was like an r&b soul label and they were affiliated they had rca distribution so we're like you know what they're the only ones making the offer we'll take it so 
that actually that album when it came out was actually fairly well distributed, believe it or not. But you know, it wasn't the right label for the band. So, so what led to the leaving of Dean and Russell coming into the band? How did that all transpire? Um, Dean, as much as I love the guy and I adored his voice, um, just really kind of just didn't have the same work ethic that we did. So at some point we had to part ways. And uh, Russell had been in profit in 1981 when we were a cover band. When we were looking for somebody new to take over for Dean, it just so happened that, you know, he wasn't involved in anything pressing at the time. So we called him up, we got together, and it was just, you know, he just stepped right in, and it worked great. I never knew that. I didn't realize he was in the band prior. Yeah, most people don't know that, but he spent seven months in the band in 1981. I have some... You know, background with with Dean Fasano because he was kind of resurrected back in the 90s by uh, Khalil Turk that owned uh, or still does own uh, Escape Music. And he did the the Message album and then some subsequent Message albums that that Dean Fasano was on that I actually reviewed for a magazine in the UK at the time. I tell you what, that that first Message album he did with Richie is great record, man. I, I yes, listened to absolutely. that a lot absolutely. back in the day. Yeah. Really good songs. Yes. And he, I, I remember talking to Khalil back in the, this is probably more like in the, in the later nineties. And I remember him telling me he had a hard time getting him to commit to different things. And, but he did put out a, a few products with, with Dean probably, yeah, in the later nineties on escape music. Dean was a great guy. He had his demons though, you know? Right. Uh, so I wanted to now talk about album number two, which was the album I think that pretty much put you guys on the map worldwide. Cycle of the Moon. Yes. Digress if you can. Yeah. I mean, if, unless you have any particular questions. I do. I just wanted your initial, like, you know, everything that led up to the, the recording. As, as a fan, I, I think Mark, I could speak for Mark, too. We, we enjoy, and, and the, the people that know that listen to us, they enjoy knowing recording processes, how songs came about, um, you know, the, the whole vibe of the band, the different record labels. How did you guys get involved with uh, Megaforce and then uh, Atlantic? Uh, well, okay, I was friends with Eddie Trunk, you know, for, for a bit before, you know, Russell even got back in the band and we started thinking about making Cycle of the Moon. So Eddie was our entree into Megaforce. Megaforce is distributed by Atlantic. So there's a connection there. We had, it's worth noting that um, we had reached out to Noel Monk, who had just come off a stint of managing Van Halen. Right. Um, From basically we were looking for new, yeah, we were looking for new management. And we just, it's one of those things, just called him up and got him on the phone and say, hey, you know, we're such and such from New Jersey. Can we send you our stuff? Mm -hmm. And we sent them demos and he he just, he really dug it. We were like, okay, well, I guess it's game on with Noel Monk. Wow. And um, yeah. So I don't really recall the, the process of, of shopping that one around or if Eddie just said, look, you know, why don't you guys come on board with us? And we just we just went with it because it was a great label. Um, John and Marsha, awesome people. We really liked everybody there. Yeah, I don't really. I, it's a little hazy <laughs> of how that came to be. But they they were the most welcoming uh, label at the time. So we said, you know, it's a great label. Let's just do it. They got Atlantic Distribution. Yeah, and kind of operating uh, out of New Jersey, you know, you're a Jersey band, so it just seemed to make sense, and it was a good fit. 
Yeah. So off we went and we reached out to Spencer Profer, uh, whose production we loved, who was located in L.A. Our new manager is in L.A., so I guess we're going to L.A. Flew out there, got a really cool uh, couple. We got one or two apartments. I think it was one. We were all crammed into one. Really nice, though, out in L.A. And we set about to make in the cycle of the moon. One thing I will note about the production of that record, um, we thought we were getting the production that we loved uh, from the Quiet Riot records and the Motley Crue records, not knowing that production was due to Dwayne Barron behind the mixing console. So when we got in there with, with uh, Spencer, Spencer was not really a hands-on producer. You know, he had a couple guys in there. And to get it even to the way it sounded, the way you hear it sounding, was like pulling teeth really? to get it. Yeah, and it's still... I'm not happy with the production of that record. I think it's, you know, it's it, it lacks balls. It could have a, a fatter bottom end. There's no yeah, question it's, about it's, it. It's yeah. really lacking in bottom. Yes. And just to get it to sound like that was a constant war in the studio. I mean, the guys were not really hard rock producers. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's, you know, I mean, it really, I, sonically, it sounds great. Um, I'm just not really happy with the the full end result of the tonality of that. Record. Yeah, I never was either. I could have definitely had a bigger, fatter bottom than on the drums. And you guys had a, had a bass player, in my opinion, that was head and shoulders over most guys of that era. And it didn't really show them off that much on that record. Listen, I, I hear you. And, you know, I wrestled with that when it came out. I still kind of wrestled with it a little bit, but obviously it's a long time ago. I'm kind of over it at this point. But that's the reason that, that record didn't sound the way we wanted it to sound because all the knob turning mm -hmm. um, off the records that we like was Dwayne Barron. Mm -hmm. And then by the time we got to Spencer Profer studio, Dwayne had gone down the street to work with Tom Worman. Okay. And that's, that's that story in a nutshell. Now the expectations on your part, I, I'm, I'm just curious from this as a fan from the outside looking in at the time, the expectations on your part, were what because the expectations on my part as a fan was that you guys were going to be <laughs> fucking huge <laughs> and what was um, your expectations well, as the band here's the thing like don't forget my our expectations were already tempered by the the fact that our first album didn't do well right so we knew that was a very re realistic possibility i always said if, if profit had come out 10 years earlier it would have been a whole different story mm -hmm. Um, second album comes out right in the thick of like hair metal. Yes. Like everything is, everything is super, either super heavy or it's poison. Or right. It's Motley Crue. Right. And we come out with this, you know, somewhat of a keyboard heavy record doing mm -hmm. this progressive kind of stuff. Yes. You're not really setting yourself up for success, but what are you going to do? You can't, you know, take yourself back in time. No, that's who you guys were. That was yeah. your sound. That was your signature sound. Yeah, and and despite that, you know, we 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 got a fair amount of respect, but you know, you you couldn't sell it to radio like you could sell, you know, Badlands or, you know, whatever else was coming out at the time, Operation mm -hmm. Mindcrime, you know, a lot of great records that I loved, um, but you know, you put our record on next to that stuff, it's a, it's a little bit light. The problem Especially, with '88 was everything was sold as a hairband, right? And the bands that truly weren't were some of the best bands, and they were all, for the most part, success-wise, failures. 
there was there was a few that you know don't forget what came out at the at the time at the same time guns and roses right um you had Badlands, who was not a hair band. You had Tesla, who was not a hair band. Right. So, you know, but they were they were heavy as shit. They were heavier than us with better sounding records. So, you know, whatever, man. It is what it is. I'm just giving you, you know, my thoughts on it. No, know, no, I right. appreciate that because um, this is what people key- want, to, I, want to know. Yeah, we were keyboard-centric, um, a very melodic band that would have fared a lot better 10 years earlier. So now we move on to the third record, which I probably have more questions on this record than the first two. So bear with me. <laughs> well, it's 1991 now. Right. I mean, the scene is changing a little bit. Um, you guys weren't now with Atlantic or, or Megaforce anymore at that point. Uh, how was the third album released? That was just independently released? I don't. Yeah, I don't even remember. That, that, that <laughs> album went through so much working and reworking and this one's going to release it and this one's going to distribute it at that point. Like I was kind of, you know, in the mindset that this band isn't really going to, isn't going to crack, you know, it's not going to make it yeah. in the way that, that I wanted to make it. So Scott and I had a bunch of songs. Um, we had a band that we were writing, you know, two guitar music for, and that's why that ended up being a two guitar record. A lot of those songs were not destined to be profit songs, believe it or not. What was that? So, what were you look, looking those songs to be just a new project? Yeah, there was a actually those songs went through a couple different projects, and ultimately, you know, neither one of them and none of them got off the ground, so they ended up being profit songs by default. So that's how that record came about. We just figured well, we have them, you know, profit has somewhat of a name. Let's just make a profit album out of it, and that's what we did. And uh, it, honestly, some of my favorite profit tunes are on that record. Oh, oh me too. Sure. Yeah, me that's too. A, that's what I was going to question you about is that uh, with all the fanfare of the second record, which I do love, the record that I consistently always go back to is the third record because there were so many hidden treasures in that album and it didn't get uh, the push that I'm sure you guys hoped it did and, and me as a fan hoped it did, but I, I love that I record. Well, thank you so much. I didn't really expect it to get anything. You know, that was kind of like, a, you know, not, not not to, you know, downgrade it, but it was like, you know, we were putting that out and we didn't really have much expect- expectations for it because there was, there was nobody behind it. You know right. what I mean? So we had the songs, figured might as well just get them out there. And we did a cool run of shows with them, you know, with Dave on second guitar. I had a blast doing those shows. Now, I and saw you guys it, at Studio One uh, in, I guess it was 1991. So Dave, Dave was on that show, right? I don't remember. Okay. I don't know. I, I, I couldn't tell you. I remember playing there. I just don't remember what the lineup was. Yeah. I, I love the two guitar attack on that and, and the soloing and the heaviness of a lot I know, of it's those heavy songs. As, it's heavy as shit. It right? really is. I and mean, if you listen to it, like the, the, there's just so many great lead breaks on it. And it's, it's, a, it's a different racket. And that's the thing with you guys. You did three albums and every one is totally different than, than the one before it. And, um, it's the many, many faces of profit. Yeah. No, which is, which is very cool. Um, yeah, well, thank you so much. And like, when you talk about like the trading off and like, uh, songs like run with the pack and, uh, what's that slow blues you want to can't remember the title of it. Um, drowning in a bottle, the chorus goes, uh, anyway, that, th- those are two of my faves on that record. Um, um, peace of uh, mind. all the titles. Yeah. Peace of mind. Exactly. <laughs> it took me a minute. <laughs> I'm sitting there going through the, the lyrics in my head. <laughs> What was the writing process on that? Were, the, were these songs that you had a hand in or? 
Oh, absolutely. I always had a, hand, a big hand in. Um, Scott and I were always the primary writers. So uh, that album was probably, you know, the same, you know, primarily Scott and I or just Scott on his own. Right. Now, now you guys after, I mean, did you have any other like questions about that particular album, Tom? Because I wanted to, to kind of go after Recycled came out and then what you guys did, pro- you know, after that, prior to kind of getting back together again uh, many years later. And well, we'll get into that in a second. Uh, the only questions I would have on it is, did you guys try to shop a bigger deal on it or it, it kind of came down to the, the difference in the time? We, yeah, it, like I said, at that point, like the enthusiasm for the whole thing was, had waned quite a bit by that time. And it was just kind of be like, we'll put them out for whoever wants to take it and put it out. Right. So the songs don't rot on a shelf. You know what I mean? Just at least get them out there. Now, and it, at that point, um, after Recycled, we're coming pretty close to the point where I just said, you know, I'm just not into it anymore. I'm not into trying to make it, I'm not into songwriting. I think I want to say it was like 93, 94 is when I had mentally bailed from okay. the whole thing. So we're right around the corner from that when Recycle come out. Yeah. Well, you know, I wanted only... to ask you that because I, what did you do, you know, after Recycle? Musically, I was I had started writing on my own and recording my own stuff at uh, Butterfield Studio in, um, in Red Bank. And I did that for probably like a year and a half or so. And when I found myself having a really hard time getting anywhere with that, and I don't forget now, like, you know, grunge is in full swing by that time, like 93 ish. Right. Like you're well into Pearl Jam and Nirvana. That's when I was like, you know what? I'm just worn out by the whole thing. And I started oddly as odd as it sounds. I started my passion started to lie with saltwater fishing rather than rock and roll. And eventually that turned into me getting a captain's license and embarking on a whole different career of charter fishing. I started a business. Oh, wow. And I did that for 11 years and it was awesome. Okay. Yeah. So for me, you know, being on the ocean and being in that environment became my new passion and just didn't really care to write or pursue. I was just out of the picture completely for like 23 years. Now, what what basically led to uh, it? Two thousand and twelve, I saw Profit at, at Starland Ballroom, and I, I think it was kind of a dress rehearsal because you guys were going to be playing uh, over in the UK with the Z Records Festival. Yes. So that was uh, what what led to you guys, you know, regrouping and and playing that show. Um, I don't know if it was the offer to come over there. It might have been that might have been the offer from Europe to come over and do that show. So we got together and, you know, got guys back together and just, you know, rehearsed a set. And I think the Starland was just kind of like a warm up for that. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, they wanted us over there and we said, well, hell, why not? Why not go? And you guys they, had never they, played there before, right? Right. There, there was never any intention of really like making no, no intention at all of ever doing anything other than just going over and doing that. Well, now the following year, you got invited back to play the Firefest Festival, right? Yes. What was that experience like? That was insane. That was one of the probably the most fun I've ever had doing a show because the the place was like this cool, like little club slash concert hall, like most mostly an open orchestra. But there was like a like a a balcony too, like a wraparound balcony. Right. That's Rock City in Nottingham. It was such a concert vibe. 
And dude, we came out and just and people knew our songs like they're singing them. And I was like, this is a whole world that I never even knew existed. Like, <laughs> my God. So it was it was like absolute rock stardom for one for a set, you know, and then like all the bands that played there, they set you up immediately. They drag you off stage and set you up behind your like merch signing table. And, you know, it was just crazy. It was like just out of the blue, you get thrust into this like one day of absolute rock stardom. Yeah. So it was an, it was it was a blast. It really was. So many bands uh, have I've heard say that over the years in regards to the Firefest Festival, it was it was such a successful uh, venture that they put together, and it ran for a lot of years. and And so many bands they just they brought back from from the dead, so to speak, you know. And, and yeah, just, we were one everybody of them. says that that they felt you know it was the the one day you you got to kind of be the rock star again, you know. Yeah, and the people were so genuinely psyched to have all the bands there, like the enthusiasm was just through the roof. So you couldn't help just, you know, smile and just be overjoyed through the whole thing. Now, well, that led to kind of more activity from the band because that was 2012 was the Z Records Festival. 2013 was the Firefest Festival, both in England. But you guys stayed together. I mean, I saw you guys a, a number of times between probably 2012 and 2016 uh, around New Jersey playing shows. Uh, Stone Pony, uh, Crossroads, uh, even guys played at the uh, the Rock Carnival. Uh, so I saw you guys a bunch of times. And, and was there ever talk at that point? I mean, it's four years that you guys kind of played shows again and, and were back together again. Was there ever talk of maybe doing anything as far as new music? There was talk about it, but I just, you know, I wasn't into it. My heart wasn't into it. Just didn't want to do it. And little did I know that, you know, kind of worked my way back to it, but on my own terms, following my own path. Right. You know, because that that writing started in 2014. Now, what did you do something in in 2017? There was a a video you put out. um, It was for uh, a song uh, off the leash. What was that? Off the leash. Yeah, that was just a one off. I mean, that that came from the same uh, writing stream that everything else since reckless abandon came from but it wasn't going to be on a record and i just i was just really really psyched about that song uh it was a tribute to chris cornell and i just wanted to get it out so i went in the studio recorded it and then shot a video for it and just threw it out there got some pretty good response too yeah, I thought it was a great song, and I, I was surprised. I, I kind of remembered it, but and I I came across it today as I was just doing a little final like note taking here, and and I was wow, you know that that wasn't on anything else that I, I recall. I got, I would have probably assumed it would have been on Reckless Abandon. No, it was it was just a one off, just a one off, and I'll probably do that again here and there. You know, like after I put this album out and it runs its course, and I'm, I might do a couple one offs with performance videos. Because why not? <laughs> sure, exactly. It's like the, whatever I have the money to do, I'll do. Right. Well, the music, uh, the landscape is so different today. I mean, there's no rules. There's no you know set way of doing things anymore. Yeah, I think you guys will find when you hear the, the new record that I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I found more, um, I'm finding more of an identity, like a, a, a recognizable style as a writer now. Mm-hmm. Like Reckless Abandon, I kind of thought was like all over the map stylistically. I think the style started to come together a little more, a little more definitive on songbook. And now with this one coming out, uh, I think like I think my direction as a writer is firmly established with this one. Okay. so you you guys can see what you think when you hear it. Great. Looking forward to it for sure. So, okay, we we were talking before we went on the record about uh, our love for Southern rock and 
off the top of your head, what's your top five Southern rock albums? And I'll tell you, uh, Southern rock bands, and then I'll tell you mine. Leonard Skinner, Allman Brothers. I was never really big into Molly Hatchet or um, every time I do an interview, I always forget like names <laughs> of bands that are Marshall Tucker. That was that's one Sk- of mine, too. <laughs> Skinner, Skinner, Allman Brothers are my two biggies. Like from back Outlaws, I was big into. Yeah, like me in too. the late seventies, I saw the Outlaws. I saw the Outlaws and Mont. It was all, the Outlaws and Molly Hatchet at the Capitol Theater, a double bill. Wow, that's awesome! Yeah, I saw Molly Hatchet with uh, Angel. Believe it or not, talk about an oddball pair. That's that's an oddball pair. Wow. <laughs> and I don't know if you'd call them a Southern rock band, but they're they're kind of Southern. Um, Cry of Love, their brother album, is one of my top five favorite albums of all time. Absolutely okay. love it. Yes. Um, Little Feet, I don't know if you'd call them a Southern rock band because they were more of like a New Orleans yeah, type yeah. of vibe. And of course, now, Blackberry Smoke, they're one of my favorite bands. Uh, recently discovered, but I absolutely love them. Songwriting is just beyond compare, man. Cry of Love oh, was a listen. great band. They had two different singers. I mean, the first, the singer on the first album left, and I believe it was... The guy that was in the lynch mob. Robert uh, Mason. Robert Mason. Yeah, Robert Mason. I'm, actually, I'm actually pretty good friends with Robert. Um, we had a couple projects together. Yeah. And yeah, he came in He came in and did the second one. Um, let's not forget about Blackfoot. That's That was one of mine also. Rick Medlock, one of the coolest rock stars of all time. I'm sorry. Yeah. Just one of the most commanding, ass-kicking guys. Like, just a total badass. Well, if you look at that early... Not the real, like, like the prime time, like the Blackwood, uh, Blackfoot Strikes album and Marauder. Yep. That band was just, I mean, it was it was heavy ferocious. metal infused with Southern rock. Yeah, just they were absolutely freaking ferocious, man. And I never saw that lineup with, with Charles Hargrid on guitar. Greg and, T. Uh, yeah, Greg, Greg, Greg Walker. Greg T. Walker. Right. That was a ridiculous lineup. Yeah, that that was a great band. That was a terrific band. Yeah, I mean, you have the same you have the same bands as me. It's, uh, it's exactly the same lineup of the of the top five. Yeah, right on. I wanted to ask you something too. Uh, we and Tom and I were talking about this, and and I don't really recall this, but in 2013, uh, you got together to record a song, or maybe it was something that was recorded in the can. I don't know. You tell me. But you did a song for the Kiss tribute, uh, a Cancer yeah. Benefit album. Tell us a little bit yes, about we that. Did. It was just, you know, I got asked to do it, and I just went to do it. There's really no no more story about it. Okay, and that had Mark Tanillo on. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think it was Mark was like the conduit to that. But he put us together, and we just went and do it. Had a great time. I thought it sounded great. But yeah, there's no real story behind that. Oh, okay. Now I wanted, and Tom and I were, were going to wanted to talk about this too, and and I guess the the origins and and the history kind of of, of Edgar Casey. Uh, Edgar Casey Band. What was that? That came out of profit. Uh, not being able to use the name. Was there something? What was the the yeah, story? You're close, but 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 no. We came back from doing the first record, and it was just we were waiting on it to be released. So <clears throat> you can't just go back out as profit and and, and do because now you're trying to be a recording band. So now you got to let your album come out. You got to you know try to get a tour, all that shit. Right. So in the meantime, we were itching to play. So Scott and I got together with Eric Farrow, who was the drummer in White Tiger at the time, went on to play with T.T. Quick. 
And we said, let's just throw a band together, you know, just let's do, you know, whatever we feel like doing cover wise. And we started out just playing like these little neighborhood bars. And that band through the years, through different incarnations, eventually turned into, because the timing was right, that giant Central Jersey art stock insane scene between the Birch Hill and the playpen. Right. You know, that 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 was like a it was like an East Coast sunset strip. Yes. Yeah. With the drugs and the booze and the girls and like it was just it was absolute debauchery and insanity. It really was. And like you'll still you know, it still runs to people all the time and just that's all they want to talk about is how the greatest time of their life. Oh, that yeah. started in that started, I wanna say, in like eighty seven and ran up through Probably had a good run of five years and then, you know, a couple of years in, in the slow death mode <laughs> into into the 90s. But, yeah, dude, when that when that was cooking on all cylinders, that was really something to behold. Good times. Yeah. I mean, that. that yeah. I, I mean, Edgar Casey was was considered a, a legendary uh, cover band on the Jersey scene for sure. As yeah, well we were as huge. Profit, you know, as well as Profit. We was were huge. In, Edgar Casey was huge in two bars. That was it. <laughs> The playpen, and we were like the Route 9 corridor, the playpen and the Birchill, and that was it. Okay. You took us outside of that area, and, you know, I mean, we, we did okay up in North Jersey, too, but nothing like nothing like we did down there. It was just, everything was right. Everything was perfect. Like, people wanted live metal covers, and there was nobody doing it. We just, you know, we did it. We stepped up, and, and it just, you know, add cocaine and alcohol, and you have that explosion. <laughs> No joke, though. I mean, no, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Well, um, you know, Kenny, I, I really we appreciate this talk tonight. Uh, can you tell us? Is there? Like I said before, uh, how can people find out about your your new solo album, Conflicted, that's due out early next year? Um, you said uh, you have a social media site or a website or anything. Yeah, I'm on. I'm on. I have a, a website. You know, my own website, KennyDubbin.com. Um, really the conduit for me getting the, the information out there as to where to find it. And when it comes out is Facebook and Instagram. Okay, great. So if, if you're on Facebook, it's Ken Dubman on Instagram. It's Kenny Dubman. Don't ask me why Facebook started with a long time years, years ago. And it's, I don't even know if I, I'm able to change an existing account to Kenny from Ken, but right. whatever, if you go on there, you can't help but find me on either one. So. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we appreciate this talk tonight. We really do. And uh, thanks for uh, sharing some time and telling us, uh, you know, what's going on with you right now up to date and also going back into the uh, profit days. Guys, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, Ken. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for giving us Gentlemen, your time. Just, yeah. And um, I can't wait to listen to it. Let's, let me know when this is going to air so I can I can pump it and, you know, send people, you know, to the right spot to absolutely. listen to it. Definitely will do. All right, gentlemen, you guys have a great night. Take care, Ken. Take care. All right, bye. Bye.